Hey, this is Nick King, a.k.a. Bakula for Sinister 1 and 2, and you're listening to Midwest Monsters Podcast. to another episode of the Midwest Monsters Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Grizzly Abner, and I'm joined by... Professor Wagstaff. Venomous Vinny. Hot toddy. Good to be with you folks on a hot, hot, hot day in July in Muncie, Indiana. Uh, we're just gathered around praying that the air conditioner holds on and that, uh, you know, the pool doesn't melt before we make it out to it. We don't want the degree to go up to 78. <laughs> yeah, there's long pauses of silence. Uh there's nothing wrong with the podcast. Uh, we're just checking on each other. <laughs> <laughs> Taking pulses. So we've got a treat for you lined up today. We are talking about a little franchise, little, and that it was only two films, uh, called Sinister. I think a third film was planned, but it just kept getting kicked down the field, and it never happened. So we thought we'd talk about Sinister 1 and 2. I know that Blumhouse at least put out the second one. Did they do the first one as well? Yeah. 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 Okay. So... You know, we're we're all fairly fans of, of the Blumhouse uh, Studios. They've got a few stinkers from time to time, sure. but overall, I'm pretty impressed with the work that they're putting out. Yeah, so. I would agree. They always maintain an, uh, an effort to to entertain. It's not it's not cash ins, right? Right. They're not doing big cash grab type stuff, except for two more Halloween movies. But we'll talk about that another day. Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. So. Um, Around the table, your experience, uh, first time watching these, uh, I'll, I'll just go ahead and say this was my second or third time watching each of these. Um, I liked them the first time I watched them. I didn't watch them. Like, I just, they were just not on my radar at all because, A, I didn't know Blumhouse did them and just didn't look like something I'd be into. And then um, my wife said, hey, no, you should really check these out. They're good. And we watched them and I did enjoy them. I like these films quite a bit. I think this was the third go around for me on both of them. Um, I really like them. I don't love them. Um, we can get into to why maybe what's lacking, pushing sure. it into that category, but uh, certainly worth discussing. I thought that I had seen this, at least the first one. I have not. Uh, still haven't. I still haven't watched it. I'm just going to wing it for the episode. <laughs> <laughs> After watching it, I realized I had not seen these before. Uh, so yeah, first time viewing for both of them. Uh, I would say second or third. Kind of, it's weird. Like uh, normally movies like this, I would probably rush and see in the theater. But I think similar. The first one came out, and I was like, oh, I like Ethan Hawke, whatever. And probably, um, I think my nephew might have watched it first. But I remember watching it with my nephew uh, at his house, like kind of semi out in the country, and. Pretty impressed with the first one, so and I think I saw part two in the theater after that. Okay, cool. 
All right, well, without any further delay, let's jump into the very first Sinister film. Do we have dates, details? So Sinister, uh, released in 2012, directed by Scott Derrickson, starring Ethan Hawke, Ellison Oswalt, uh, Nicholas King as Bagul, uh, Vincent D'Onofrio, and uh, James Ransom as deputy so-and-so. All right. Very cool. Uh, so basically the synopsis is this um, crime writer moves to a new town and uh, you're kind of, you, you, you don't, you don't get all those details right up front right away. Right. And so like you're kind of piecing it together that the, the local cops don't like him. They don't want him there uh, because he, kind of shown a light on some things that previous police departments had done to bungle investigations. And so um, they're not real thrilled that he's in the town, that he's you know probably going to be putting them under a spotlight, that he's going to be bringing attention back to this painful thing that happened at the town. And, oh, by the way, he didn't tell his wife that they bought and moved into the murder house of which he was investigating. They were and murdered when, in the backyard, not in the house. When, <laughs> right. when are, are rich white people going to learn to stop moving into houses that they got for a really unbelievable deal? Yeah, that'll get you in the doghouse. Because didn't I mean? Didn't he uh, tell his wife that, that it was like down the street from him? No, she asked. She, she asked, "Please, out. please say we didn't move down the street from a from a murder." And he's like, "Well, we didn't. No, we didn't move down the street." Please tell me the murder didn't happen in this Crazy house. No, it didn't happen in the house. White people. <laughs> um, you've got some different variables going on. Uh, the son, who had uh, used to experience night terrors, starts experiencing night terrors again. Um, that they are. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And the one early on where he pops out of the cardboard box. Like, yes. Screaming. Made, wake you up. It made me scream. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, any other family dynamics I'm missing? Uh, no, it's just uh, the parents and the daughter and the son. Okay, gotcha. Any other big details before we get into uh, some think, of the meat? I think something you left out just a smidge was uh, a previous book that he had written uh, kind of pointed that the, the cops implicated that this guy shouldn't have been the murderer and he's released and he actually was a killer. So I think it's another reason that the cops don't like him. Yeah, yeah. A good detail, and I, I don't think his uh his his wife is very happy with the stuff he writes either. So, which I think comes into play later. Right, kind of festers up to the top. Cause yeah, he's got this legacy um, that where he isn't interested in the eyes of law enforcement at least, in, in the actual justice. It's more grandstanding to mm-hmm. them, and so you have him move in. They got a painful past, so right off the bat, they establish that friction with the cop visiting them. Yeah. For sure. But really, the movie kicks off with the discovery um, that he uh, finds in his attic, which is a box labeled Home Movies. And uh, I, maybe you guys would disagree. <laughs> I think this is what makes the movie, is, yes. is these, these cool. clips that we have. And the various clips, uh, he it's uh, was it 8mm? Yes. I can't remember what type of film it is, but he's got the little projector that's included with it. And so he sets it up in his den and begins to watch them. And it is various uh, little short reel films of different families being murdered. Um, very different ways, different locations, different eras. And I can't stress enough how jarring these little videos are. 
that's, I mean, that's the meat and potatoes of the movie. Yeah, definitely. Right. Um, the second movie deviates from that a little bit to give some more um, depth to it, to, to have other things that keep you drawn in. But for this first film, absolutely. This is what you paid admission for, is these right. terrifying home videos. And the thing that that I was the most impressed with as far as those go is it was shot... They're terrifying, but they don't show the gore. Yeah. It's not graphic, but at the same time, it's just as disturbing. If they, but they, you know what? Do we know what I'm, do anybody agree with what I'm saying? I get a lot of blank stares. (laughs) No, 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 because that's the thing. Like, um, you know, getting stabbed and shot and cut apart, like, that's scary. But I think the slow knowing that you're about to die. And it doesn't really show it happening. And when it's happening, it's not focused on like, I, I, I think it, it has just as much of an effect and maybe even more that had, had they shown it. Yeah. I think all, all of the different things that they show are instantly relatable because they're scenarios, items, whatever things that you have in your home based and they're, and they're very of. primitive looking with what you're watching. So you'll see families bound Yes. blindfolded so you're instantly sympathetic to what you're seeing but the really strong point of the home movies is that by using uh the dated medium that they do there can be cuts in it we don't yes. have to watch everything in pristine uh perfect yeah and there's the grit to the film work. quality and, and all so that. it just yeah. makes it seem much more underground and dangerous and you feel like what you're watching with him has only been seen necessarily you know by the killer yeah um but with that i think the first one we're introduced to if i'm remembering correctly is the at the house yes and he discovers it and goes out and sees the tree in the backyard where this family has been hung from and the branch is still broken down from what you see in the movie where the branch cuts and that shoots the rope up and pulls them and which is a, a terrifying scene yeah yeah and, and I think the fact that they never dwell on anything gratuitous is what makes them so scary. Yep. Okay. So I completely agree with that. The lack of gore um, really changes the dynamic of the films. And you feel instantly isolated with Ellison as he watches these. And a, a parallel that I kind of feel, and maybe I'm the weirdo here, but I'm sure that even if nobody else at the table has ever felt this way, surely some listeners have, don't call me surely, is when you go down these rabbit holes with true crime, you kind of start to feel alienated by yourself while you're watching it because the subject matter is so grim and the world kind of starts to shrink and you kind of think, I need to go to the grocery store or go out with a friend or do something. This is depressing. And so I instantly feel that when we're watching these videos, because we have this guy who's in a new place, not established there yet. He has no friends. He is there to write a book and he has even blocked himself off from his family, obviously, because he doesn't know what he's getting ready to watch. And when it begins, surely he doesn't want them to see that. And so we watch these with him in his den where he's all by himself and it feels even more intimate and disgusting because of it. Mm -hmm. While you're watching these films, I, it's just, it's jarring. Yeah, it is. It's done very well. I, w- I would say, too, the, so the fact that it's the in, pretty much the entire family, including children, mm-hmm. 
And the, I think the lack of gore, it's not even the lack of gore, the cutaways a little bit too of, um, of their death. It's almost like Texas Chainsaw, where to me watching yeah. it the second time, I felt like it was worse than what it really was on screen. Because to me, the cutaway makes you imagine what happened. So. I agree. I agree 100%. Yeah. Um, I also like that, just as Vinny had brought up, the grit of the film quality and that 8mm kind of look. And it, it draws me to other horror movies, or even crime movies. I mean, I think about um, that Nick Cage movie, 8mm, yep. and just kind of how disturbing that was to watch because of those very same mm -hmm. qualities. And also... Uh, movie called Sandman. Did anyone watch that one? It was kind of like a, a mockumentary style. Not familiar. Guy goes to horror cons. He's buying like fake snuff films, but like there's this guy who's the best. He's called the Sandman. And, um, is that porno movie or? <laughs> <laughs> no, you're thinking of smut films. It's I said man. smut films. Uh, so yeah, there's just something about all the, everything that you guys said. I mean, you laid it out perfectly, like lack of gore. Uh, uh, the film quality. I mean, all of these not gratuitous. It's the same thing that adds that creepy feel to the uh, Bigfoot footage, the Patterson Gimlin footage. Sure. I don't think if that film was clear that it would have that same otherworldly effect on you when you see it as it does. Like the alien in Signs. I was just yes. thinking that. Right? I mean, because yes. when you see the, the, the video, I was startled. But then by the end of the movie, I'm like, why did you show us so much? Yes, yeah. exactly. Yep. Yeah. And this film doesn't, right? Yeah. This film leaves us with the mystery of each of those. Yeah, they, they handle all of that very well. That was that, that movie gets highest marks for that part of, of its production. Yeah. So, so I think then uh, after, after he starts watching the films, I think we at some point get an introduction to, to Bagul. Or yeah, we, we notice symbols that are painted at the crime scene each time. And he ends up referring to, is it Professor Jonas? Uh, D'Onofrio's character. I think my name is Jonas. Where, and that's where he recognizes the symbol and describes it as, it was it from uh, Babylonian times? Yeah, something like that. Um, Bagul. That, that, that's what that represents, who would kill families and take one of the children for their soul. Yeah. And so that's what we start noticing is that in... So he, what he does is he does the research because he, there's more videos, I'm sorry, more film strips than just the family of the house that he's in. Yes. He starts finding these film strips for all these other families and he starts, you know, searching like police databases. He's got deputy so-and-so helping him out and, um, he starts discovering that at each one of those scenes where these odd murders were filmed, there is a missing child. Yes. We hadn't mentioned that. Yes. Good. Good call. Yeah, we've got the missing child, the symbol uh, painted somewhere in there, and we have now discovered we have an entity, mm -hmm. some kind of uh, masked creature or whatever the hell it is, which causes him to, to reach out uh, for more knowledge on that. And he explains to him um, about you know the legend of Bagul. And so I, I think it's interesting that you have a true crime writer who is used to his process. Right. And we are instantly out of that. I think from the minute he starts watching that first movie, he realizes I'm in over my head. I don't really understand what the hell this is. Like what's going on? Why are there home movies in my attic? And it, it, it changes the dynamic of that. And, and so then his experience goes right out the window. Then we're not as interested about him being a true crime writer. He's one of us. We're just, holy shit. 
Which adds to, Todd, if you want to make a point. Well, I, I was going to say, that. too, you know, I think it might be the first film. He actually calls 911. And then, oh, yeah. I don't know if it's, it really doesn't, I mean, I'm, I guess the thought process to me is that he's like, I'm onto something here. And if I turn it into the cops, which are already uh, not a fan of his, that he knows he's not going to be able to, like, rewatch the films and research the stuff. And uh, so instead of just turning it over to, to be investigated by police, he hangs up the phone and and uh, and doesn't notify anybody. Which adds to another reason why he did it, which was the point I was going to make, is um, he hasn't had a hit for a while, right? He's got his big hit that made him famous, but he's kind of been striking out a little bit. And it's, it's put a little uh, financial turmoil on the family. They've been moving around. Uh, and so he thinks that because of this secret that he's discovered this thing that he's got this is going to be his next big hit this is what's going to put him back on the map this is what's going to make him relevant again and that again causes some contention with his wife um so i think you know the story that goes on outside of the the terrifying films is what makes this a good movie as well right Mm -hmm. well and then and then to uh it's probably like maybe one day of school and then the, the son is in a fight and he knows that what has happened in the house. Oh, that's right. And then the daughter, of course, starts acting uh, weird. And they allow the daughter to draw uh, drawings on her on her wall. White people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Ain't let them damn kids draw on my wall. I'll tell you that. Uh, all right. What next? What do we... The turning point is when he awakes to the running projector in the middle of the night. And goes up, and we have a group of children, presumably <laughs> our missing children, all watching it. And uh, Bagul manifests in the film, and then right in front of him, and he mm-hmm. falls down, and he's he's had enough. And basically, they flee the home. He knows that it's time, right. not not time to debate with the wife anymore. This is we can't be here, and so they move to a new home leave all their stuff kind of in the fashion of the Lutz family in Amityville, just get the hell out of there. He's stopped on the way out of town by the cop. The cops, you know, trying to make sure he's not being ran out of town. He says, no, we're gone. So they get to their new home, and that's where uh, we we reach our, our big finale. Um, right around the same time, Deputy So-and-so calls to inform him that he's figured out that these murders of the families have happened after they left the murder home that they'd been living in. And it happened at the next one, which is how we kind of move along the legend of it. Well, and, and each family had, had previously lived in the, the so previous it's, it's like a home. line, like the, yeah, that's what I'm saying. They fled the murder home that they were in to the next house, which is where they meet their demise. Yeah. Um, and so as he learns that he sees some green goo in his drink and goes, <laughs> goes to sleep. His daughter, uh, when he awakes has, uh, her brother, as well as both parents bound, and the daughter has an axe and is videotaping her killing them. And, uh, you know, in a very cheery nature, painting the walls with their blood and uh, draws our Bagul symbol again. Did not end the way I expected it to. <laughs> yeah. The end surprised the shit out of me. It's not your typical ending for a movie. You just don't expect them to end that way. Uh, you went and checked on Harrison in his bed to make sure <laughs> he wasn't coming to get you. Uh, also, I really felt I was really suspecting Deputy So-and-so. I felt like this guy's going to end up not being what he seems to be. Like, mm. And I was totally wrong on that one. You know, had he uh, answered the phone the first ring during the daytime? 
he might not have uh, been butchered by his daughter. That's true. <laughs> but, you know, uh, the daughter, her name Ashley, is taken by Bagul. Mm. She heads off with him. And uh, then we get our little jump scare, which I kind of love just because they didn't rely on that through the film. Yeah. So it's just like, bam, right at the end, we have Bagul. There was pop that out jump the scare in the attic. Yeah, I mean, there's still that some, one. Some that one scares. almost made me poop my pants. <laughs> Definitely. I, I think too. Uh, what I think is cool about Sinister is it's not the typical horror film because number one, it's the parent and the man. That's that's the other family is really not so much affected by everything as he is. I mean, of course, by the end, but uh, typically most horror movies are either the children are the focus and the parents don't believe what's going on. Or it's a female. So the fact that it's a man, and it's the dad, and really all the stuff is happening to him, I and he's feel, experiencing everything. I feel like that's kind of a trope, though, because I feel like in like your Amityvilles and things like that, it's like always the dad that ends up possessed or something. Mm-hmm. Like So that's the only, only negative mark I think I'd give this movie, which it's not even that big of a deal. But if I was feet held to the fire to come up with something, I'd say... That end of it feels a little bit like a trope, but other than that, I think this is a pretty good movie. Vinny's pulling his old man card. He's like, <laughs> as a father, I feel like. Um, real quick, though. Uh, I feel persecuted. <laughs> <laughs> as an old white man. <laughs> Happy Father's Day. We're heard. not all demon-possessed and going to kill our families, okay? All hetero cisgender white fathers are easily <laughs> demon-possessed. That's a fact. We just I, I concur. Twenty listens a month. <laughs> uh, no, as we wrap up this first movie, I just want to say uh, I just want to recap some of the kills that were in it that we saw with the. So you get the the family being hung, you know, with the the limb being cut. Mm-hmm. You've got the one family that uh, is stuck to their lawn chairs, and then they get pushed into the oh, pool. Yeah, pool they have, that one's bothersome. Pool. That's rough. And then the other family that's in their car in the garage. Gasoline all over them. Oh, yeah. That one's rough, too. <laughs> I mean, none of them are great ways to die, <laughs> mind you. Was, was that? Was but it? they're done, again, simply enough. It plays on base movie. fears. The one with the lawnmower that, feels say, nightmarish. I, I mean, that truly feels out of body even watching it. You're just like, what, what is this? What is this shit? And then right as it, it hits, he freaks out and... You know, finally, yeah. I'm like, okay, good. Yeah. Uh, we have a, a legit reaction from <laughs> Ellison Oswald. We haven't gotten too desensitized. Yeah. Yeah. It's the, and the, the there's a hypnotic score that they've got yeah. when things ramp up with the, I don't even know how to describe it. It's just like a quick little drum beat and almost yeah. like a tribal, uh, some strings. Yeah. yeah. It's got a melancholy, but like sin- sinister. It's very sinister. Uh, tone to it. All of the actors were good in this movie. Mm-hmm. There wasn't anybody that felt out of place because they were an actor that wasn't as good. Like the whole movie, I think was cast very well, and I think everybody was a good actor. Um, Ethan Hawke was, of course, really good. The uh, the deleted uh, deleted film where uh, R. Kelly is peeing on the girl. I'm, I'm glad that was cut from the film. <laughs> yeah, that was probably a good choice in the long run. Yeah. Um, well, how do I follow that? Um, one strength I do want to mention that isn't common is this is one of the best photographed dark movies I've seen in recent memory. Most movies that are very dark don't really translate all that well, especially with the players we have at home and our TVs. And it's kind of got like a a weird, lighter darkness to it. 
this movie's great looking and it's very dark. There's not a lot of daylight in it. It's better. It's you, are you saying you'd see it better than that that big battle at the end of the final season of Game of Thrones? You just need to learn how to use your TV, according to the cinematographer. For that. <laughs> that was indeed dark. Um, but yeah, I, I I do think that that's something that is easy to kind of not mention. Sure. But it really is a good looking movie for for how dark it is. Is there anything that you guys think could have catapulted this into being something you loved? Because it's not a it's not a movie that I go to where I go. I, this is just one of my recent favorites. I'm not crazy about the creature design. I, th- I thought Bagul was cool. I think I think what keeps me from from absolutely loving it is the films, which is a a strength of the movie, but also it the films themselves are almost borderline torture porn. So I think that just kind of like Saul. I don't love the Saul movies, but I mean, there's a few that are good. I've been trying to pinpoint it. And I can't. I, I think I can't part either. of it would be. Maybe we need just a little bit of happy time with the family. We hit the ground running with uh, kind of an unhappy, quiet move. I and don't a, think there's a commercial appeal. Yeah, and so I feel like if maybe we just have a, a little bit of normalcy mm-hmm. with the family, where they're at, maybe they go out in their new town and have dinner even. Like, we're, we never leave this house I for the I think there's part. nothing about it that feels like a product. And yeah. that's why it didn't get over bigger with a larger audience, because Bagul isn't... It's not an iconic look, right? You know what I mean, like, and I just don't think there was that that commercial hook that got a general audience. Well, I like the sure. movie. Oh, I do. I think too. I think it's really good. I just, I, I but can't you're right. Exactly it's why. it's not. I it's not regarded in the same level that I think that lesser movies compared to an R, and I think that's why that hook's not there. And Bagul kind of looks like Doug Jones' character in Hocus Pocus. The zombie? Billy? <laughs> yeah. Like maybe the zombie meets Michael Jackson? <laughs> yeah. The kids. Oh, man. Yeah. Doug Jones. Doug Jones. Uh, the, so out. part one, though, did, I think, probably, I don't even know if it was $10 million to make this movie, probably less. And it did make like $70 million, So I, I think it was a hit. But it's not something like people, people word of mouth because it was scary. But I don't think like we're conjuring and some of the other more recent films where it's I, yeah. I, as soon as I watched conjuring, I was ready to go see it the next week. Well, yeah. and people continue to talk about the conjuring yeah. six months after a year after people still are, this dropped off. Well, it did well. People liked it. And, and, and the, it just you know, away. the directors, uh, the reason he wasn't involved with two is he went from here to Dr. Strange. So. I mean, it propelled him. And that's the thing, too. Conjuring is much more of a popcorn movie. Right. Especially, like, that first time you watch it, you're scared. And, like, I, like the first time I watched the first Conjuring, I was home alone. And I, I like, I had to, like, pause it, turn some <laughs> lights on, and, like, do some calisthenics. Like, <laughs> right. But every time I've watched it since then, I'm like, this is like a theater movie. This but, is like yeah. a popcorn but, movie. But the, the Conjuring is probably a great example of what Ryan was saying is that, because uh, Conjuring is all about the, the family. Yeah, and right. and the the unity of it, and and this one, I mean, it's the family, but there is no. Which, it's almost like yeah. the Nightmare on Elm Street remake, and I think people put it on Freddy. It's not so much Freddy. The kids are relatable because everybody's uh, severely depressed, and there's no likability to any of the characters. Yeah, no investment. Don't depress shame people on this show. Uh, you can tell me what to do. <laughs> um, one last thing I wanted to say about that too I'll, is it's interesting that. A lot of Blumhouse movies are that way. A lot of Blumhouse movies like hit, and they're good movies, but um, you're not going to see them on Fright Rags t-shirts. 
or cavity color yeah. It's like there's just not there's something that they're good and you would recommend them to people, but they're not like so good that you're like, I need that on a lapel pin. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, and they, they do seem to have some integrity for as much as it would seem like it at first glance, like they're pumping out franchise after franchise and sequels, but they're really at, at their core, they're not interested in giving the the safe result on screen. Well, this is proof I'll of it. Tell this you, is I'll such tell you a the other bleak thing. movie. Yeah. Oh, for sure. The other thing that I think keeps sinister from being regarded the same as the conjuring is it doesn't have based on a true story that's big i think that's a valid well good comparison then would be like in the insidious franchise yeah and insidious again is uh, there is just as much as i like sinister a lot but there is something just uh, a little amiss right yeah yeah, i mean I'm, i'm glad you brought up insidious i mean yeah because like we all liked insidious but like if someone's like, what's your favorite movie? Are you going to list Insidious? No. No. And Insidious, those are good films. Just like this is a good film. But like, I don't need a further t-shirt right. from Insidious. And sometimes know? nostalgia and time helps with that. Yeah. Maybe 20 years from now, I look back and, on these a little more passionately just because well, I remember the experience. But right now, they're fresh, you know, so right. well, they don't have that I think established. what's great about Bloomhouse too is they, they'll do sequels, but they're not like they're not rushing them down the pipeline. Yeah. So I think, I think eventually, um, I think there will be a third movie eventually. And I, I think where we're at with horror and on like these type of films and, and the people making them is they listen to uh, like, I think Ouija and Annabelle are great examples that each movie gets better. Like Annabelle three was like blew me away where the first one was just okay. Um, I feel like if they do a three, I think maybe the things that don't resonate, like maybe it'll, it'll switch a little and maybe we'll see a franchise of like a few of these. I know at one point they're like, we'd make 10 if, if people will go see them. Sure. But yeah, they do maintain the integrity though. Happy death day to you is a perfect example. That sequel was awesome. And it's a completely different movie from the first one. It's, it's heavier. Yeah. It's a heavier movie than the first yeah. one. It's, it's got like an eighties comedy to it and a lot of thoughtfulness. Yeah. Caught me off guard. So, I continue to be surprised by them. Yeah. For shizzle. But yeah, I would recommend this one to anyone interested in, in watching oh, newer newer ones. And it's it's definitely a uh, a good uh a good scare movie to, to watch in the dark, so mm-hmm. Feel dirty watching those <laughs> videos. Vinny, all right. You all right, buddy. <laughs> good good times. Good. good times. You got a heat stroke yet? Nope, I'm all right. You're close to the fan. You're good. We put the old guys under the ceiling. (laughs) We're making sure they're okay. All right. Speaking of sequels, they made a second one. Called it Sinister 2. Electric Boogaloo. Release in Europe is Sinister. Could it it have been uh, Electric Boogaloo? (laughs) Sinister 2. Electric Boogaloo. Let's start over and use his joke. Guys, you got to stop me. I've used that Electric Boogaloo joke too many times. It never gets. That's why it's a classic. That's why I have a copy on Blu-ray. And Boogaloo just sounds so good together. Uh, yes, Todd's was way better, too. Electric Boogaloo. <laughs> uh, it might have got a larger crowd. I don't know. <laughs> I think the breakdancers would have came out for it. So, uh, Sinister 2, 2015. Uh James Ransom returns as, uh, well, now he's ex-deputy so-and-so. Uh, Shannon uh, Sassaman, Sassyman. Sassaman. Shannon Sassaman. Lee Coco. You go, Glenn Coco. 
Uh, and Nicholas King returns as Bagul or Mr. Boogie. Um, I unfortunately didn't write down the director of this, but it, the original director did not return because he was working on Doctor Strange. He's big time. He's living that high life. Making them Disney dollars. Yep. So, uh... Neat. <laughs> okay. Cool. Uh, uh, well, let's start with initial <laughs> thoughts on this one. Um... I like I, it was a serviceable sequel. I think I enjoyed it. I, I didn't hate it or anything. Um, I feel like it's a sequel. It's not as good as the first one. I feel like I you start to see why there hasn't been another sequel. I feel like it doesn't have the legs for a franchise personally, uh, and I feel like it lost some of the subtlety from the first one. Um, I actually agree with a lot that Benny said. I think it's a, a really good movie. The first one's better. I think uh, probably what you said with like the the subtleness is lost, and I think that's it. it kind of made it heavier to watch a lot of the, the the not that the films were fun in the first movie, but in this one, like it was like let's see how we can top things. It almost yeah, makes some of it unwatchable. Um, the the uh, abusive father storyline, like like. Almost like, what if it would have just been a happy family living in this house instead of uh, a mom running away from, from her ex- abusive ex-husband or husband? It's like they try to draw you in more emotionally because of that. Um, it seemed a little gimmicky. True. But they're, they're, uh, I thought, for, for a sequel, what I did like about it is it, they could have just did the same exact story they did in the first movie. So they at least tried with something different. Um, yeah. I, I like and dislike that we learn a little bit more about Mr. Mr. Boogie uh, or Bagul. <laughs> Bagul. Um, the farmhouse was good, and I, I there was some good scares in it, but uh, there was like a heaviness to this movie with me, and uh, I think the more of the the ghost children were kind of, I think a little bit that took me out of the movie too. But I think they tried to make the main characters more sympathetic by having them be victims. Whereas Ethan Hawke's character wasn't all that likable in the yeah, first movie. And so big. they thought, okay, we'll make now if we make them sympathize with the people a little bit more, uh, we're going to try and get in on that conjuring money. <laughs> it just, uh, <laughs> I don't know. Like I said, I, I liked it, but it, I, it certainly feels like a step down to me. Sure. Chris serviceable. Yeah, it's a good it's it's a good sequel. It's a good movie. Not great, you know. Like um, I uh, I echo what Todd said, and that I I'm glad they tried to do something different. Yeah. That was cool. I yeah. mean, because you know, you're right. It is it really franchise material. I don't know. Could have been better. It showed me how thin the premise is. Yeah, and so it could have probably been better as a one and done. But uh, it's like I said, it's not a bad movie. And if you like the first movie, I would recommend you watch. Yeah, for sure. Movie. Um, but it did some different things. Um, yeah. So overall I like it. I'm not upset with it. Um, but it's just not a great, not a great movie. Not much controversy here. Cause I feel the same. Yeah. We didn't need it, it but it's not a bad movie. Like they, they still maintain, uh, a certain level of quality that we had from the first I one. I agree. Uh, but part of it is, is with the sequels, especially in horror, you get into revisiting the parts and elements of it that you like. That's, that's why we feel like let's make this movie fans enjoyed 
insert whatever the franchise is. Yeah. And so with this, that's snuff. <laughs> you know, so yeah. I, I don't really need more of that. So in a lot of ways, I feel like they would have been better off to just leave the first one alone or go even more drastically with the sequel. I would have been more interested in following Deputy So-and-So on a pilgrimage all over the place trying yeah. to end this and made him the central focus of it. So he's a good actor. He's from he The is. Wire. He's he's, he's, he's he about does. to be in the next It movie, so... Yeah. yeah. Um, oh, yeah, he's from that, season two of The Wire, isn't he? Yep. Ah! He was the little pipsqueak. Yeah, the little shitter. Um, but that, that that's just kind of where I, I landed on it. It's, it's still got plenty that's enjoyable. Uh, for our generation, it's always nice to look at Shannon Sossaman again for any reason. Um, but yeah, it's just. I wonder what it ever happened to her. She 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 made off. so many movies and then yeah. disappeared. So I'm yeah, it's to see her again. serviceable but unnecessary. Is kind of where I land on it. I, I agree with the because uh, I think the character uh, of Deputy So and So is kind of he's kind of at least a little bit of of lightness in both films. Yeah, I think um, that would have elevated the. I first think that film and too. if I, I felt like maybe one extra movie of like the house they're in. I don't think the other film should have been in the movie. And almost if they just took that element out, because that was what made the first one so weird. You didn't really need it in the second one. Mm-hmm. I think if we would have done that and more about um, trying to save families or and and or more about like Bagul. Um, so if they do a third one, I don't think a film is even necessary at all. I think at this point the viewer knows what has happened and and the things that's going on, and I think that there would be a smarter way to to do things. And that's the thing, too. I feel like they made the kill films more intricate in this yeah. in ways that, like... I the rats was, like, a little bit too much. Like, that I don't was. think kids... Like, he did a Michael Jackson off. moonwalk, and then the buckets upped and rats ran in. Like, wasn't needed. <laughs> yeah, and, like, what kid is going to be able to hang his family up so alligators can eat them? Right. Like, I mean, you know, again... I know there's a suspension of belief for, for some extent of this, but like the kills in the first movie were way more believable than the kills in this movie. And these are more graphic. Well, I was going to say, exactly. the ones in the first one didn't try and one-up. Yes. This we start to get into, uh, let's see if we can really shock them. Right, because you know that's what we open with, is that kid having a dream of his, uh, you know, this eventual kill at the end where like his crucified family is set on fire. I don't I mean, even get him up on the the cross, right? I mean, that's a little yeah. cute. I mean, well, maybe Bagul, Bagul, get into that position. But we never see that. Like, we never see Bagul helping them. We we. I feel like he's a lazy demon. So yeah, right. In the first film, we're just given the impression that he gives them the idea. <laughs> I love the idea of a lazy demon. Like, yeah, eh. he got the name from because he kept saying it'd be cool if you'd do this. <laughs> <laughs> That's good improv. I like that. Well, well there's the t-shirt. I, I do like, uh, I guess, Tom Cotton. I guess the twist from, from the dad being the central character to the son. And then you see like how the, how they're trying to entice the, the child to, to do these things. So I guess that was a different spin, but I yeah, feel like it was, I mean, again, I like high was marks heavier. for trying to go a different way with it. And sure. not, you know, but it made mark. it, it made it heavier, I think. And I think, well, and you know, I, I have a hard time with these, like, uh, Stop me if I'm getting too far ahead. But Stop. Hey, real quick. Let's just. <laughs> right. uh, I know we've hinted at the whole synopsis here, but let's just take one step back. Shannon Sossaman is a mother of two boys. We find out they're on the run. We don't entirely know why. And then we find out that the husband's abusive. 
he, he he's has, powerful. He's powerful. He's got connections with cops and stuff like that. When Deputy So and So pulls up, she thinks that he's a PI sent by the husband. He's not, and then he helps her, you know, stave off some cops who come to to take, take the, the kids. kids away and give them to yeah. the husband. Well, because he he doesn't want he does not want them to leave the house. Yes, because if they leave the house, then. That's when the murders will happen. Exactly. And so... That would not be ghoul. (laughs) (laughs) You're going to be able to make me laugh all night. (laughs) Um, And so uh, he's investigating. He's following the houses of where these crimes happened. And um, basically, the abusive father comes back, makes them leave. All right, you can spoil anything you want from this point, but I just wanted to give that synopsis. Yeah, uh, do we? Do we? Uh, mine goes a little bit further into the plot than that, I guess. Any past that point, at this point? Sure. I think yeah. Uh, we've taken this. Whole well, so deputy so and so shows up at the house trying to warn the woman, and the dickhead dad comes out with a gun and kicks his ass, and uh, kicks his ass, sea bass. It's, it's pretty nasty about. You know, going up and banging his wife, like, and this, that. Like, he's pretty a nasty and dude. And I feel like if you pick a fight with a guy named Clint who has a big, <laughs> like, a truck, you're probably, it's not going to go well. Yeah. Uh, but I Those thought, always assholes. <laughs> spoiler alert, the dad dies. <sighs> and watch this. And <laughs> it was, uh, for as big of a fucking dickhead as they built that dude up to be, that death was not satisfying for him whatsoever. Like it was a bit of a letdown for me because they really, they really make you fucking hate this guy. Oh no! And burn, I just burn it up on a crucifix. But it didn't feel very epic. You know what I mean? Like it seemed like there should have been more, more, crucifix? more build up to it. The way <laughs> it's presented in the movie, it is not built up to in any way. I don't feel. Okay. It kind of happens, but it doesn't feel as climactic as I think it should for that character to to perish. Um. Listeners, you are hearing the moment where I stopped feeling safe when I podcast. <laughs> Should they have shot him while they were doing it? He's like skin, his toes. I didn't. I just eyeballs. didn't feel like we had reached like a crescendo. It feels kind of abrupt. I, yes, I don't understand. Yes, what you're it does. So it doesn't feel as satisfying to me. Uh, and also, I'm supposed to be scared about a ten year old chasing me through the house with a Super Eight camera. Like that is not intimidating to me. I'll I think catch him with the front right in the solar plexus. They cue up the music. I think the, the music, and then you have like these little asshole ghost children. That's like they're in here. Yeah. Fuck off, you little bitch. I was gonna say, in fairness, <laughs> they are. <laughs> Hashtag just kick. Uh, they're throwing stuff around the room, so we yeah. got something supernatural going there. I wasn't a fan of them really touching in almost to Isaac from Children of the Corn. Yes. It was distracting. My my dad walked in while I was watching this, and he thought I was watching a new Children of the Corn movie. Yeah. Which, let's be honest, if it was a Children of the Corn movie, I'm like, good production for a change. (laughs) Yeah, right? (laughs) But yeah, it went a little too close to that. I... The division between the brothers when the one is mm-hmm. kind of too meek and sensitive, and the other for one's them to dickhead swear. like his dad. So they, they made it, the, they made the the little kid a dickhead and the dad a dickhead. So guess what? You don't care what happens to him at this mm-hmm. point. Yeah, but our our finale is his dad is being burned. Sheriff so and so shows up, hits him with the car, and gets uh, what's her name, Courtney, mom, Shannon's husband, down as well as the other brother, and they flee. Not before. Young Buck cuts off Sheriff So and So's half his hand with whatever yeah. that thing is. Yeah. Um, 
and we chase him through the house and go through all that. But the the answer to it is really <laughs> take your the belt first off. Time we <laughs> tap into a popcorn feel, like we talked about, that these films haven't been, which is such a simple move as destroying the camera. We destroy the camera yeah. so he can't make the film for Bagul, <laughs> and then he's doomed. And so we take the child away. We save the family. It 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 didn't fit tonally with the film I just watched or the entire first film. Right. And I that mixed with the children of the corn stuff and the the sibling rivalry where they're driving them apart. It just was kind of reaching yeah. a little too much. And I thought that's when I started thinking, man, I really <laughs> wish this would have been with with the deputy more yeah. more of the film and, and his journey on disposing of these houses. He's lost his job for his involvement helping Ellison in the first film. He's then went around torching the murder homes to, to end this. He's become obsessed with it. And we spend a very brief amount of time with him, you know, in the yarn on the mats and figuring out right. where the church is and getting there, which is right next door to the farmhouse. That was far more interesting than dwelling in family drama and veering off into even more supernatural elements with a group of kids. Mm -hmm. The kids were creepy in the first one because we saw them briefly. Yeah. And we did that way too much. In now this they're film. bullies. Yeah. <laughs> I think I know what left me unsatisfied with the father's death. <laughs> I think I think I pinpointed because it was nobody who really deserved to get revenge on him. It wasn't the mom that he had been had roughed up and was so shitty to. Yeah. It wasn't deputy so and so who had gotten the fuck beat out of him. It was the character you didn't like. Sure. So you. So don't. I think that that's honestly. So I think that's the pinpoint. I think it didn't satisfy the revenge. You, well, you're not getting the sorrow and the grief that you get from watching innocent people. Yeah. In home. So I think that I think that's what bothered me. Seeing yeah. him get his 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 level of justice, yep. at least cinematically, that viewers would prefer after watching it build up as such a. Yeah. Pile so, of shit. So and throughout the movie too, uh, D Deputy So and So as he's investigating, obviously he's become a target at this point from Bagul. So I think, uh, again, this is kind of a perfect setup for the third movie, if they did one, where I think they should just, the, the films have to be gone, like, like change the tone. And it really, instead of focusing on the family, we've done it twice now, that it would be cool that he is like, he trying to save families. And at the same time, because uh, at the end of the film, you know, Bagul pops his little head out and gives a little scare again. I'm all right with letting sleeping dogs lie. Uh, Todd, I like I, where I like Sleeping Dogs Lie Part Twelve. <laughs> Todd, I'm I've got a great idea, and I think this is what we should pitch. In that, uh, remember at the end of John Wick Two, all the hitmen are looking for him. <laughs> Bagul makes all the kids in America start looking for <laughs> Deputy So and So, and so he can't be safe anywhere. I think we got a third film here. Blumhouse, call us. We're gonna make it happen. Dial it up. Uh, my last note here was that um, I agree with Hot Toddy. Uh, in the first film, I felt like Bagul looked like Doug Jones' character in Hocus Pocus, but in the second film, he is definitely channeling Michael Jackson. And not even it's it's Michael Jackson from the scary movies. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> His name is Bagul. He <laughs> he. Is that the third film? Bagul he he. Sinister Three. Show on. All right. Well, I think that we have beat this dead horse as much <laughs> as we can. 
to this point. Any other thoughts on the Sinister Bin? Yeah, I'd check them out. I would certainly check out the first one. If you really, really, really like it, run on to the second. Yeah, I would recommend both movies. Sure. Yeah, if you like the first one, check out the second one. Uh, but I, I, I really recommend that first movie. Definitely. All right. Well, wrapping it up for the Midwest Monsters. I am one of your hosts, Grizzly Abner, joined by my homeboys, Professor Wagstaff, Venomous Vinny, Hot Toddy, Stay Scary, Big Goon.